On today's podcast, your hosts TC and Chris Nicole discuss strategies for achieving better glute tie-ins, benefits of pec development for bikini athletes, and getting the most out of your training through intentional body positioning. Okay, we are back again. <laughs> I feel like that's how I'm going to start every podcast. We're back. Um, I'm really excited about the content to share with our listeners. Um, we had some very exciting hands-on experience um, with some athletes. And I always like to see you in your craft mm-hmm. and helping people. That's definitely where my heart is. So it's been really exciting to see collaboration with some other um, coaches and other teams and seeing you help people uh, in a unique way. So I'm excited to share that with everybody. Do we have any updates for our listeners? Um. Or any, we were gonna, we were thinking about giving like random uh, tips. (laughs) Yeah, or just the tip segment. (laughs) Yeah, for people to start off the podcast, but now realizing that we hit record, I don't think we prepared anything for that, so. Next time. Yeah, we'll we'll do that. But I think uh, stuff we have to talk about today covers a lot. Oh yeah, we are travel. We've we're done traveling until Friday. Yeah, so Friday we're going back up to uh, just north of Richmond. We got the Iron Belt Classic. Um, so that should be a fun little event. Yeah. Uh, and then it's a strict curl and full power. Yeah. And yeah. a really cool gym. Yeah. Um. And then we'll be heading up to the Arnold. Yay, I'm excited. And then we'll be heading back to Florida. Yeah, we're just visiting the cold for a little bit. Yeah. And then we'll be excited to be back in Florida. But yeah, just stringing along the events. I feel like as soon as the year started, we started running at full speed. Yeah, which, uh, by the way, we're going back to Florida because we have, um, well, there's a couple things. we got to help Brett move some equipment, but there's also a... High school and teen nationals. So if you are a high schooler or a teenager and you're interested in uh, a good powerlifting competition, that'll be down uh, in Melbourne, Florida, uh, March 14th through the 16th. So yes, um, feel free to contact us for information. We have lots of events. If you're looking yeah. for a place to compete or some help, yeah. whatever sport you're in, we could probably help you find something. So. Yeah, just let us know. Yeah. Okay. Well... I think I want to start off the podcast um, kind of complimenting some of the things I'm seeing with um, our athletes that we've been working with, specifically our female athletes in the bikini and wellness categories. Um, Because, I mean, it will be next, no, I'm trying to think of like the time frame. Everything's been happening so fast. I have no idea what day it is. But anyhow... Um, recently I was looking at a lot of the athlete check-ins, um, yesterday and I was looking at like their positioning and their poses and I'm seeing a lot of improvements, um, just with like body control and poses, which is very exciting because that is a big part of presenting yourself on stage. But I was noticing with, um, several of the athletes, a more complete like upper body look and previously, um, as an athlete in in the bikini category, I was advised to 
never train chest or pecs. Or maybe I started off training it a little bit in the beginning, but that died off. I do know some like successful bikini coaches that do not advise pec training for any of their uh, competitors. But I will say, um, since I've incorporated some pec training, I feel like my entire like upper body look changed a lot. Um, I mean, if you go on my Instagram and you look at the pin of like my Tahoe show versus my um, show last year, there's like a, a lot where the pec muscle just ties into the delt muscle and creates like a fuller look for a bikini. Uh, in, in my personal opinion. And I'm starting to see some of that translate into our athletes. So I was telling TC that he was doing a really good job and I was really excited. And I was naming specific people that I was like, oh my gosh, their upper body is now looking developed. We are, this is a sport of bodybuilding for these, these specific athletes. And muscle development is such a huge part. I mean, it is the foundation of bodybuilding, muscle development and creating a full look with that specific category in mind is I think definitely an art and um, the isolation of just training delts and just training glutes, I think has for me kind of fallen to the wayside. Um, the more I've learned and the more that we've discussed and the more that we experimented with my physique first, um, this is a really long tangent, but anyways, I'm liking the pec muscle that I'm seeing on some of our girls. They don't need to have like a hard pec line down the middle, but that tissue on the outer edge where the insertion point is on the humerus ties the delts together really nicely. And they're looking, they're looking like they're putting a lot of muscle on, um, in my opinion. I think, um, so there's some things that you can't change your muscle insertion points, your waist size, your mm -hmm. rib cage size, your pelvis size. Uh, there's some things that you can change. And that one of those things is your shoulder girdle width and it's with visually, not just the necessarily. illusion of it. Yeah, yeah, not just necessarily exactly how wide it is, which I also think that you can make that wider. But, um, yeah, it's it's like you said, it's the illusion. So, you know, a lot of people target the back and the lats um, in order to create that V taper. But for bikini girls, I mean, you have like two opportunities to showcase your back when you're you know walk to the back curtain and your back pose. And yes, your back pose is very important, but most of the time they're looking at your glutes when you're doing your and your glutes and your rear delts. And your hair is covering your back. Exactly. Yeah. So, where else can we like kind of create that V taper illusion um, on the front of your shoulder girdle too? And so, the wider that we can make your shoulders look, the narrower your waist is going to look. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of the theory behind that. And. Additionally, when you're training chest, you're going to train the antagonistic muscles, right? So the, the muscles on the back of mm -hmm. your torso, so your back muscles, right? Um, but that's going to help with your posture as well. So you, it's like it's definitely twofold, um, not just training your delts, but training all of the surrounding musculature as well. As it just allows you to have just a much more upright um, uh, posture and it just increases your look just so tremendously it's not even funny yeah i've been i've had a couple girls that i felt like their upper body has lagged a little bit and i've you know done training with them specifically on back on all portions of the delt and um since like changing some of my philosophy or challenging some of the things that i was taught and incorporating some of these other 
strategies has been really cool to see just like the overall fullness. Um, and again, this is like anecdotal. So there's plenty of coaches that don't want girls to train their pecs. Um, we're of the philosophy of, yes, we want to train for the aesthetics of your sport, but also for your overall function and, and health of your life. And I don't think that training pecs takes away from your athletic endeavors, especially for bikini. Um, yeah. So what are some pec exercises you want to share that? Sure. Yeah. I think mostly what we use is like a, a not a very steep um, incline, but like an incline bench press. Uh, I think mostly what we use is incline dumbbell, dumbbell press because I want that shoulder stability in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then just like a low anchor cable fly. Um, really what I'm targeting is that upper chest portion. Mm -hmm. Especially with females, like you said, like it, it, with power lifters, I think like doing doing the opposite is going to be more beneficial because generally speaking, your competition bench press, you're going to have the arch. It's going to be closer to a decline bench than an incline bench. That's true. Um, but yeah, with the with the bikini athletes, we do want just a little bit of a line on the inside so that you can see that we have some muscle there. But no, we don't want like like you said, we don't want that big sharp ridge. Uh, like you would look for in like a, a you know a men's division, mm -hmm. um, and then like you said that meat on the outside, uh, more towards the front delt, um, just really I think completes the look of the athlete's shoulder girdle. I think it makes your shoulders look bigger. Yes. Because of where the insertion point is underneath the delt. Um, yeah. Well, it it also allows you to grow your delts better, right? So. Mm -hmm. That's another thing we've run into in the lower body with coaches saying don't train your adductors because you don't want your legs too big, but then your glutes don't have the stabilizer muscles to handle heavier loads. To so keep growing them. Yeah, so how are you, you're going to plateau eventually. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And I know that everyone and their mother has heard that saying, but it seems to kind of go by the wayside when we're talking about specific bodybuilding categories, uh, which is very interesting to me. Um because just logically speaking, if one of your muscles can't handle the load, your body can't handle the load, and that's just how it works. And either you're going to compensate, and you're going to move the effort, the workload away from the muscle you're trying to target anyway, or you're going to hurt yourself, or you're just not going to be able to progress. And when we're talking about building muscle, whether we're talking about hypertrophy or strength training, um, the name of the game is progressive overload. Mm -hmm. um, and those look slightly different when you're looking for bigger muscles versus, you know, increased strength. But um, I think that both sports, bodybuilding and powerlifting, can both benefit from both aspects of training. Like, for example, in bodybuilding, yes, we don't want enormous adductors on our bikini athletes, right. but we still need to train the adductors mm -hmm. to be strong. So we adopt some powerlifting training uh, protocols to strengthen the adductors while it's keeping them as small as possible. So we maximize each muscle fiber strength potential, and that allows us to get that stability out of those muscles without them getting overly large. Yes, and I think that from like a functional standpoint as well, doing a pressing motion um, outside of like a shoulder press because I think sometimes for specifically bikini athletes, we train our, we're looking to grow the size of our delts. So we put a lot of volume on our delts, but that translates into like some dysfunction. Like I see a lot of bikini girls with big traps. They can't move their scapula. <clears throat> they can't depress their scapula. 
Um, yeah, or they have winging scapula, which is never, you know, accounted for. It's never paid attention to because we're not looking at that serratus anterior muscle um, and the lower traps and the rhomboid muscles, which like all of this comes into play when you're looking at someone's posture um, and pre being able to present a full, like the full width of your chest girdle or your shoulder girdle is impossible if you have winging scapula because you have rounded shoulders yes. and it's and you can't you can get as wide as you want but you're still not going to be as wide as possible if you are unable to suck the scapula into your back and have that nice flat back mm -hmm. and it showcases your rear delts mm -hmm. whereas if you you can if you round forward if you have winging scapula you, you can't see your rear delts you have huge delts yeah. and no one can see it because you can't position correctly but yeah so like being able to do a pressing motion that's not just shoulder isolated mm -hmm. um i think has been really helpful and just my functionality so my traps aren't getting like overworked and well and the other aspect is just like we were talking about with your stabilizer muscles uh, a more horizontal pressing motion will engage different muscle groups than a vertical pressing motion and if someone consistently compensates through a shoulder press with their traps and their, their levators first of all they're gonna have a ton of neck issues they're gonna their neck is always gonna hurt which it's we gonna be see super tight yep we see it all the time which we'll go into detail about one of the athletes I'm uh, raising which, my hand yeah yeah not her someone else but uh, no i have neck issues oh yeah I, yes you do but later in the episode we'll go into detail about someone else that we you know help with, with neck oh, issues yeah. but um yeah, so like we see a ton of compensation through the traps and the levators and neck issues and blah, 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 because the serratus anterior and um, your humerus control via your lat muscles are, is lacking in these athletes, um, which uh, your humerus is your upper arm bone, basically, for, for everyone out there. Um, so like doing, yeah, so doing like more pressing motions um horizontally will help to lock those shoulders down in place so that i know a, a big issue with posing and especially in a front pose is getting girls to not shrug and you say get upright and almost immediately they they try to pick their shoulders up and the nothing else comes with it yeah. you know that's why we cue long neck and it's almost counterintuitive to think that pushing your shoulders down will make you look bigger but it does it, do, yeah. it it makes you much more upright it, it makes you much more presented to the to the audience and to the judges yeah there's a lot of factors and just that confident positioning mm -hmm. it does add a lot to the silhouette uh and the balance but it does yeah your c confidence on stage however you can translate that like ha get a good posing coach that's going to help you look confident not just like hit the poses and the correct movements and yeah i mean you have to look like just those small things head position eye position mm -hmm. posture position is saying that you are here i am here <laughs> yeah and having a posing coach who's gonna pose your body instead of just showing you what they do i think that's integral too i think a lot of like olympians get uh, a lot of business because they're olympian um, or just pros in general not necessarily olympians but um a lot of these high level athletes get a lot of business because they are a high level athlete but there are plenty of them out there who just say, okay, well, this is my routine. This is how I do it. And they try to put that on someone else. And that's like me trying to put my sumo deadlift form or my squat form or my bench form on someone else. You know, it's, it's just not going to work. You know, everyone's different. So you have to have your key focal points and what you're looking for and, you know, like what your goal is. And then you adapt it to each individual athlete. Yeah, exactly. So 
I think that pec training is, in my opinion, important for a bikini. I think it's added value, and I've, I'm seeing it add really good tissue um, to the overall visual of some athletes that uh, we're working with. So good job, guys. <laughs> um, and good job to UTC also for helping helping these girls look fuller and, and with their positioning. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that um, shying away from bench press just because it's like, a, you, you know, people think your pecs aren't judged for a bikini. And while that's true, I guess a judge isn't necessarily looking at what's her pecs look like. Um, there is something to be said about the overall look and making sure that you are not, you're not as a coach laser focusing on specific areas that you're looking at the whole thing as a whole. Mm. Um, so yeah. Um, that's so yeah, do chest. Uh, <laughs> do you want to start talking about, so, uh, we did have the opportunity to work with, um, a couple athletes while we were in Florida. Well, DC really worked with them. And um, we had, I don't know where you want to start with this. Yeah, let's just, we'll start from the beginning. Um, so, I mean, this is a good segue anyway. We're just talking about um, making individualized changes for specific athletes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we had one athlete uh, approach us for help with activation in the lower glute upper hamstring area. Mm -hmm. Okay, And uh, this is often referred to as a glute ham tie-in, right? Because it is where your, your glutes and your hamstrings kind of pass each other and create that little ice cream cone look. Um, and, okay, so the approach that I took was um, first, like, asking about their training and what they have issues with and what they think the problem is. Okay. Um, this was an in-person session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then we started looking at, so she told me that she had some hip uh, tightness, like uh, oftentimes after glute day, like she'd get in the car and by the time she get home, like it didn't hurt, it wasn't sore, but it was super, super tight in her hip joints. Um, so the very first thing we did was some shin boxes to start getting opened up. And we found that just like the vast majority of other athletes, the tight side was the side that she did not use for her front pose. Mm -hmm. um, so surprise, surprise there, right? Like we, we all have a good side and generally speaking, it's because that's the side that we use most in our day-to-day -day, uh, basis and our routines. Um, and you're able to have a good side in your front pose because you're more mobile in that direction. Correct. So you've repeated that pattern over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I, I always encourage people to practice their posing routine on both sides. And I know like you struggle with it at first, but now you can run through it on both sides. No matter how good or bad it looks on either side, you can run through it on both sides. Yes. I think that is a good skill to have um, because you never know. You could, as you get tighter, your other drop step side could look like 10 times better. So yeah. if you know how to move into that position, um, I run my routine through my good side and then I run it through my bad side. I just do the whole thing like forwards and backwards. Sometimes I get stuck in my back post and I don't know how to turn back around, but I will say that it's been a good practice just in my overall, like posing confidence. If I can do all of these things backwards, um, I think it just, if I get a little bit like caught up on stage, I just know that I can move through things and 
but again yeah it's important for the mobility aspect yeah well and in the training right so now we're bringing the mobility to both sides of your body so that it's even so like when you're doing a hip thrust you don't have one hip tighter than the other or squat is a better example you're going down to the hole and if you have one hip tighter than the other you're probably going to shift that that way and if if you're erring towards you know internal rotation on one side external rotation on the other side your your femurs are going to go into that rotation pattern in the bottom of a squat and you're going to use different muscles on each side of your body to come back up out of the hole yeah uh, which obviously is going to cause problems not just in your muscle development but up and downstream uh in your like a lot of times that'll portray itself as back issues and back pain you'll start to get some back pain or si joint pain and um you know, a lot of these issues like pop up and then people think like, oh, I get I get SI pain. And then all they do is like try to sit on a foam roller or they stretch their adductors or they do a Band-Aid protocol approach that it relieves the pain momentarily. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they start moving again, it's back. Right. So our goal is to come in and assess your movement um, patterns and find out what's happening to cause these issues. So. Like I said, the first thing we do is the shin boxes. We found a, a mobility compensation or, or imbalance from one side to the other. So that was the first bit of homework that we gave her is before your workouts, I want you to do your shin boxes on both sides, but but prioritize this side that, that is tighter. Okay. Which um, she's been doing, by the way. So she, she knows who she is. Yeah. Um, so, and then the next thing we did was everyone's favorite hip airplanes. <laughs> Um, I know these are really hard. They're tough. It's a tough exercise to master, let alone like begin. Um, but the very first thing that we saw with the hip airplanes was an anterior pelvic tilt mm -hmm. and just a lack of core control and a lack of the ability to keep her hips under her in that posterior hip tilt as she hip hinged forward. Yes. Um, and now that's obviously going to cause problems in growing that the lower glutes, upper hamstring area, because if you're doing something like an RDL and you're moving into an anterior pelvic tilt, you're not going to be targeting the spot that you want to be targeting. You're taking tension off of mm -hmm. yeah. the area. So, so we added a band over the shoulder, under the foot, you know, that, that was raised and had her try to keep the tension on that. And we realized that um, proprioception was another thing that we, uh, another opportunity for improvement, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, so she's been working on that. And like she sent me a video a while ago and it was like 100% better than really? it was during our, oh, yeah, that's yeah, it was great. So um, we still have some room for improvement there, sure. but like it's onward and upward, right? Every day, that's, that's all it is. Just a little better than yesterday, right? That's the goal. Good. So... Um, after that, we moved on to activation. So um, NASM's corrective exercise science uh, uh, specialist protocol is uh, it's four steps. It's inhibit, lengthen, uh, activate, strengthen. And so we didn't really do any foam rolling because we weren't sure what to inhibit yet. Mm -hmm. But we did the lengthening in the internal external rotation through the hips. So we tried to open up the hips a little bit. Uh, and then we did the activate with the hip airplanes. And then we moved on to the, um, really, it's more activation. We weren't really doing any hypertrophy work with these. But then we move on to the strengthen aspect with some uh, single-leg RDLs. And the way we performed these was contralaterally to try to target the glutes. And we did it with a band anchored in front of the athlete. And she held the band, pulled it towards her to get the lat engagement. And then we added a weight just uh, to help uh, increase the pull of gravity. Mm -hmm. 
um, because what I want you doing is pushing that weight to the ground to activate your serratus anterior and your lats to stabilize your torso. So we did that with an emphasis on maintaining uh, lumbar positioning. So basically your lumbar spine in between your rib cage and your pelvis and activating the abdominal muscles correctly to be able to maintain that position in the position that we want it to be in while we're going through this movement. Which, by the way, she's got great abs. Yeah. And she has full glutes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. like, there's still room for improvement even when you look as amazing as she does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always, always. And, th and that's it. That's just it. It's, it's, there's always more, right? Yeah. And for... The vast majority of athletes, they're not going to take the time to dial it back a little bit and figure out what these opportunities for improvement are. They're not going to look for them. They're not going to look for a coach who can uh, point these things out to them because they think they're doing it all. Mm -hmm. And and that's fine. That's that's fine. For the elite level athlete, there are going to be times where you're working harder mentally than you are physically. Oh, like me today. Yes. Yes. And not to say you're not working hard physically, you're working very hard physically, but it just seems like the mental aspect is insurmountable at that point in yes. time. Yeah. So we, we need to be able to control our bodies efficiently to be able to work the muscles that we want to work. Mm -hmm. So with this particular athlete, she wanted to really chisel out those glute ham tie-ins mm -hmm. and she's in a growing season. So it's not like we were going to see like immediate changes right now, mm -hmm. but that wasn't the goal of the session, right? Right. The goal of the session was to figure out what was going on. And I think that we found exactly what was mm -hmm. going on there. So, yeah. um, yeah, she, she messaged us after that session. She had a glute day that day and she said, I had, you know, a really good glute workout. I got home. I had no hip tightness. Um, and it's great. Yeah, so, she had less pain and great glue activation. Mm -hmm. That's a win. Exactly, yeah. So just because you have a six-pack doesn't mean you have good abdominal control. Correct. Just because you have a six-pack doesn't mean that you have good core strength and stability. Um, th those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So record yourself from different angles and figure out where I, I call them power leakage points. Uh, figure out where your power leakage points are. And if... if you're doing a single leg, let's just say you're doing a single leg RDL and you have movement in areas other than that one hip joint that you're trying to target, you have power leakage points. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I'm talking about. And being that anal about the like the move, the compensation patterns that you're looking for is it's integral. You, you have to do that if you want to reach an elite level as an athlete, whether it's a bodybuilder or powerlifter, it doesn't matter. So that, that was the most gains I made in my powerlifting training was, yes, I was tracking macros and looking at macro timing, but I was also recording every single working set and watching it back immediately afterwards and picking something to work on on the next set and saying, okay, I see this. That's what I'm going to work on. And then after that set, I would look at my video and say, did I do it? Yes or no? And then I would move on and, and continue working on things. And just like with the po getting a good posing coach that can help you with like the the control and the confidence thing and posing for your specific body like that's i think the skill that you're describing of being able to like target power leakage points so to speak is not everyone's strong suit and i think a lot of people don't have the mental energy and the time for it so um if you can find a good professional uh i think that's a good a good thing to hire out on mm -hmm. um, yeah Developing your eye for movement takes time. Yeah. Um, it's there are obviously there are going to be some people that are better at it than other people. Um, but 
I've been doing this for a few years now, and um, I mean, I'm I, I would still call myself a beginner when I'm talking about looking at movement patterns compared to a lot of people, a lot of really good high level coaches out there. But at the same time, there are also coaches out there who don't do anything like this mm -hmm. for their athletes, you know, um, which is fine, you know, like, like stay in your lane and don't, don't try to be someone you're not, yeah. but also encourage your athletes to go seek someone out who does have this as a strength in their arsenal, you know, but that's exactly why I do the strength and mobility training and you do the weekly check-ins and the macros and the cardio mm -hmm. and the client handling. Like that's what we're good at. So yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. And the mental aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So if um, we're talking about main things that you saw um, with like, because I think the initial um, hypothesis was that there was not good hamstring activation for this particular client. And yeah. that was what was holding back her lower glutes from growing. Um, what were some of the things that you found um, that w you think were the main culprits for the lack of lower glute growth? Um, definitely abdominal control, like core control, not, not necessarily abdominals, not necessarily ab muscles, but right. the entire, um, I guess really the entire torso, because she also mentioned that she had neck issues. Yes. Excuse me. Um, which tells me that she has scapula control issues. Um, so your scapula, if you can control your scapula, you can have you big glutes. The world. <laughs> um no but but yeah i mean i mean okay so there's something called the regional interdependence model and basically all it says is that your body works together as a unit that's basically all it says um but babe, babe people just want to know the like the quick answer yeah i know i ramble so no no you're fine i'm just saying <laughs> if you want to know like a, a very basic answer you're not going to get it on this podcast yeah 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 um, but i like your in-depth approach um so sorry to like cut you off there. I was just thinking of asking that question and people getting a p piece of paper out and ready to write down what the answer to the question was. You're, yeah. Listen back to the podcast. Yeah. Just create voice memos because <laughs> I talk a lot and it's, it's a lot to absorb. I've been told that in the past, like doing in-person sessions and like, I don't know if I'm going to remember all that, but what I explain to people is I'm going to try to explain it as comprehensively as possible. And I don't mind doing it five times. I don't mind. I don't mind because I love talking about this stuff. I love sharing all the knowledge that I've gained over the years. Uh, I love uh, helping other people be better athletes. Um, I just like helping people. So yeah, I really, good job. yeah, I, I don't mind. So I am, I'm not going to like only give you a piece of it because you have to have the entirety of the picture before you're going to be able to understand it. And it's okay that you don't get it the first time. That's fine. I that's, don't. Yeah. And that's fine. I just, I'm like, okay, I think I got. 20% this time. Mm -hmm. Next time you explain it, I'll get 30%. Mm -hmm. uh, but And that's fine. But it does work. I will say that because there's many times where I'm in my workout. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember him talking about like this body position. Mm -hmm. And it, and then finally, like being able to incorporate it because my, you know. Yeah. Your brain remembers more than you remember. And I know it's weird. weird to say that, yeah. but like things will pop up in your mind just having heard me say it, even if it was only one time yeah. and it didn't sink in at that time, you're going to do something and you're gonna be like, Oh, that's what he was talking about. Yes. 
And yeah. that's what I'm looking for. I, I don't care if you get it right when I tell you. That's fine. If you if you can't understand it or you can't perform what I'm asking for, that's perfectly okay. Well, it's just a lot. Mm-hmm. So so back to your question yeah, is sorry. you know the the initial complaint was lack of hamstring activation, mm-hmm. and then the description was we need to work on your glute ham tie in area. Yes. Um. So now I took that. Uh, what I heard was I have hip issues, and now that's not what they told me. But because your body works together as a unit and muscles basically have their specific function, they either work or they don't, right? And if they, if your body's in the right position, they're going to work properly. If it's not in the right position, it's not going to work properly. So generally speaking, if you have an activation issue, it's a body, con- it's a positional control issue. So, and, and everywhere, like the weakest part of someone's body is going to be their midsection. It's inevitable because it is the weakest structurally i mean if you think about your lumbar spine it's just a couple vertebrae stacked on top of each other and that's it and then you have a muscle group a bunch of muscle groups that have to work together in order to stabilize your spine so that you can stay upright so whereas like above that in your thoracic spine you at least have your rib cage and now we have some kyphosis happening like people having these like forward head postures and like rounded shoulders that we have to you know rectify that to have proper scapula control but all this works together for you to be able to grow your glutes. I know that sounds weird, but it's it's true. If if you have a rounded shoulder posture, it will be harder for you to grow your glutes. I know that sounds weird, but like it's just it's true because if you have rounded shoulders, your lats aren't as engaged, and if your lats aren't as engaged, you're not going to be able to stabilize your pelvis as well. And if you can't stabilize your pelvis that well, you're not going to be able to isolate your glutes. So it it all works together and it's it's crazy how it's 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 really interesting. You know, I've had shoulder pain because of a wrist mobility issue Mm -hmm. you know like it's the body's amazing it's really frustrating but (laughs) but but your body's also very amazing so um yeah that's my long-winded answer to your question so some core you saw some core issues you saw some hip mobility issues those were the things that um yeah and really it was the core control it was the positional control that was creating the issue because mm-hmm. like her proprioception was a little skewed sure so when i said stay in posterior hip tilt um i think that once the body it's stationary she was able to do that as soon as that body started moving we moved into that anterior pelvic tilt sure. because sure. the low back muscles are so so tight and if you think about a bikini's uh, front pose and back pose your lumbar erectors are super activated yes but you, you have to think of your spine as like a guy wire, as a, as a radio tower in a guy wire system. Your lumbar extensors can be activated, but your abdominal muscles still have to be activated to hold yourself super tall and erect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think all the female categories do lower back arching. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, I mean, n- general human nature. Like that's where your erect posture starts mm-hmm. is with your lumbar erectors. So. Yeah. And then everyone spends a ton of time sitting down, so their hip flexors get super tight. So now your lumbar erectors really have to work because now you're in this anterior pelvic tilt because you're tight hip flexors, and it just all compounds on itself. So you did so. do some hamstring work with her. Did you notice anything? Yeah, from that? she she had tight hip flexors as well. But okay. again, like if if these muscles aren't being put through a full range of motion, then they're gonna tighten up. And and if they're not being worked, if they're not being strengthened they're going to tighten up, you know, tight, like weak muscles are tight muscles. And Mm -hmm. it's not always the other way around, but generally speaking, if you have tight muscles, like try to a first lengthen them and then strengthen them and then see if they 
remain tight. Uh, I'll guarantee you have better results rather than just like foam rolling or stretching. That um, actually, we did get a question in rela in relation to that um, on Instagram. So I'm pulling up Instagram really quickly because I just it just dawned on me. Um, okay, so TC, here we go. This is also a Q and A episode. <laughs> um, so. Is mobility and flexibility the same thing? And if not, what is the difference? Uh, so that's a good question. Um, we, didn't we didn't prepare you for this. Um, this. I hope not, because I try to explain that to everyone. Okay. It's someone so, we love. Yeah, well, I, I told her that during our session. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but so the answer to this question is no, they're not the same thing. Uh, they're related but they're not the same thing. So flexibility is um, available range of motion. So if you were to lie down and I were to pick your leg up and stretch your hamstring as far as it would go, that's your flexibility. <laughs> so 12 <laughs> inches off the ground. <laughs> no, so, um, Babe, <laughs> put me out there like that. Um, whereas mobility is strength through range of motion um, or available active range of motion instead of passive range of motion, right? So. Um, if you're doing hip cars and you're actively moving your body through range of motion, not with any external forces, but just using the muscles that are meant to move your femur, uh, that is your available mobility. Um, and I would say flexibility without mobility is a recipe for injury. So if you're just stretching and not doing any mobility exercises, probably going to injure yourself at some point. Mm. Um, because you're lengthening these muscles, which may or may not be super weak, that have tightened up to protect themselves. And now that they're ultra lengthened and they don't have the strength, they don't have the contractile strength to bring themselves back from this ultra lengthened position. And then you try to use them in that ultra lengthened position. That's how you tear muscles or strain or, or you know, like injure. That's how you injure yourself. Okay. Um, whereas if you do mobility work, that's actually strength training. Mobility work is strength training. And I know that whenever people out there, whenever our athletes are doing hip cars and shoulder cars and neck cars, they're not thinking this is strength training. They're thinking that this is a warm up or a cool down or this is my mobility work, but mobility work is strength training. Um, and yo, neck cars are no joke. <laughs> yeah. And, um, doing them do one right now with and without a band is completely different which you know we'll talk about you that can next do it with too. a band okay no i i just mean in oh band oh yeah yeah. Position. yeah yeah um okay. so so yeah um train your mobility so what what we've been doing especially with hip flexors because that's another one similar to adductors i was gonna ask you about that because i did see that well i you know we started doing some hip flexor training which has also been a no-no in my history mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm um, breaking all the rules. I frequently ask just which you can always <laughs> ask for clarification why you're doing something um, because uh, there's always a p an, in an intentional purpose. Mm -hmm. Initially, when I started getting prescriptions from you, I was like, this <laughs> he's just being in his crazy TC world. This makes no sense. But I kept I learned to ask you. Um, yeah, instead in of just being mad and in stewing. a polite <laughs> way. Yeah. <laughs> And then you always had such a good answer, um, which is also something I don't think I was used to, like getting an answer back. Um, and it's been very interesting. So, yes, why don't you speak on, because I, we do some hip flexor training now. Yeah. 
So um, um, I was noticing that everyone has tight hip flexors. Everyone complains about having tight hip flexors. And no matter how much they stretch them, they roll them, it, it, it doesn't seem to help. Um, and tight hip flexors and hip, hip extension, which exactly. is a, a glute movement, a mm -hmm. primary glute movement. Yeah. And in full hip extension with a posterior hip tilt, your hip flexors are pretty stretched. Oh, yeah. So you need to have good hip flexor mobility. And understand that I just said mobility, not flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, because in your hip extended position in a hip thrust, your hip flexors are stabilizer muscles. Um, and now you have your reciprocal inhibition pattern, which is uh, if you activate your bicep for bicep curl, your triceps are told to turn whoa. off. Whoa, babe, you're going to break that shirt flexing like that. Yeah, I keep putting this friggin' oh, thing sorry, in Sorry, I'm dryer. derailing us. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so flexing your bicep. It inhibits your tricep mm -hmm. to allow your bicep to contract. Okay. Um, so this is true in your hips as well. So your hip extensors will inhibit your hip flexors when they're being utilized. Um, but under maximum load, you're still going to have some a little bit of activation in there for your stabilizer muscles. So that's why we need the mobility. Otherwise, you have a good chance of straining those hip flexors because you're, they're used to being tight and they're trying to stay tight when you're trying to extend them. Uh, rather than uh, I kind of talk about muscles as though they're like living beings. And I, I say, you have to tell these muscles that it's, this is okay. It's okay to go through this range of motion. Yeah. So absolutely. that's why, yeah, that's why we, I have a hip flexor stretch in the beginning of people's workouts. And then I'll do something like a hip flexor march or a lying hip flexor curl mm -hmm. to move the, the leg through the hip flexor through its full range of motion uh, to begin to strengthen that muscle and to, again, tell it, this is okay. Everything's okay. You're strong enough. You can handle this. Let's do it. Um, and then all of a sudden they go through and they do some hip thrusts and they're like, wow, this is great. Uh, but it's like kind of counterintuitive. I just worked these muscles. Wouldn't they be tighter? But no, like they're just activated. Now we have some blood flow in there. So now that they, they can lengthen a little easier. So um, it's, it's kind of compounding there. Yeah. I sent you this exact question today through the app. So Thanks for answering it on the podcast. You're welcome. Because I literally said that's counter. It feels counterintuitive to be like move like working my hip flexors before I'm doing like a deadlift or a hip thrust day. Um, so thanks for the explanation. Yeah, but it's like it's the same thing. I do lat pull downs before I do bench press. Your lats are a stabilizer. That makes more sense to me. Um, but maybe it's just from like what I was taught in the past. Like you stretch your, you lengthen the hip flexors to allow for. The range of motion, you know, for your glutes and hip extension. Um, but if you work them, you're going to you tighten them. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's all about how you work them. It's interesting. If I were to have you do 10 sets of 10 super heavy hip flexor marches. Sure. You're going to be super tight in there. Yeah. But two yeah. with with moderate weight. I use no weight. The blood flow. That's not true. I saw you. You had a kettlebell today. Oh, the marches? Yes. Yeah. I feel my abs a lot in that. Which is exactly what we want. And eventually I'm going to add, you're going to hold a plate over your head. Oh, great. Yeah, I was watching you today and I was like, should I go over there and tell her today? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, just leave it, let her, leave her alone. <laughs> so you almost got that today. Oh but. my gosh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and that's, that's the goal is to, again, regional inter interdependence, right? We want to train your body as a kinetic unit. The entire thing, the whole kinetic chain is a unit. And we want to, yes, we want to isolate this, but you still have to think about the rest of the unit in its entirety and what the rest of that unit is doing. 
Because if you're not thinking about what the rest of it's doing, it's just going to do whatever the fuck it wants. Yeah. And that's not necessarily beneficial, you know? So, yeah. So, so it's, it's good that you feel your abs because you need to be able to stabilize your hips. Like your pelvis has to be stationary if you want to work your hip flexors, right? So yeah. just like your pelvis has to be not stationary if you want to work your abdominals, mm-hmm. um, unless you're working them to stabilize, right? So. Well, and that's a good, when you're talking about working the whole body as a unit, um, that's a good segue into um, the next athlete that you were able to help, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, while we were down in Florida. Um, she's, you know, somebody who was dealing with pain, um, consistent pain. Um and, I mean, yeah, why don't you just talk about one of the, some of the things you uncovered? So our session was basically focused on... How bad the medical system is. No, she, <laughs> said, she said, I have so many problems. Like, there, there were just so many things. Because yeah. we started at the hips. Yeah. She said, um, you know, when I do hip thrust, one side of the hip pad is higher than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she noticed or one her, dimple is deeper. The indent on the hip pad. One was very deep mm-hmm. and one was more surface. Yeah. So basically we did the same thing. We did some uh, shin boxes. Uh, we found the same exact thing. Her front pose side was uh, looser than her other side. Um, and then we started to do other things until you made the suggestion that maybe we need to look at the scapula. And which ended up being really beneficial because... I think that most of her problems were with her neck, right? So she's had one neck surgery? Yes. So she's had neck surgery as a, a vertebrae a fusion, mm-hmm. uh, C4, C5. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, again, your body, regional interdependence, um, pain modifies movement patterns up and downstream. And when it's in your neck, at the very top of your body, it can affect pretty much anything downstream. Um, so there were, there were a few things, like, like you said, she commented on a few things, um, uh, told me that she had, I think it was a physical therapist, give her a wedge for when she was getting some bruising from cycling too much. And, and they thought maybe one of her legs was shorter than the other one. Um, I didn't hear that in her gait, which told me that it was something else. Mm -hmm. And I could be wrong, right? I could be wrong, but I asked if it was a, like a picture was an MRI measurement or was it a supposition? And it was basically, it amounted to a supposition. Uh, it was, it was much more mechanical than that. They did like a gait analysis with a camera and they, they pinpointed parts in her body and they noticed it was moving differently. They added the wedge and all of a sudden all these problems went away. So working backwards from that tells you one leg is shorter than the other. But again, I, don't necessarily work the same as other people and it's probably because i don't have the same education as other people sure like the vast 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 majority of what i know is is from experience and and from observation um but that's how i grew up learning right was observation so um yeah so we kind of pivoted and we moved into some scapula control work and the first thing we did was just protraction retraction scapula mobilizations with a foam roller um, and we noticed that she had like virtually zero scapula movement when we were trying to do protraction retraction. Um, and she had winging scapula, which tells me her lower traps and her rhomboids are virtually non, like non-existent. Like they're there, right? <laughs> Obviously. Well, let me add this too. She is a pull-up queen. Mm-hmm. She can do wide grip pull-ups. She can do plenty of them. 
She's very strong. So she has super strong biceps. But with all of that, with with this dysfunction, she's able to do those things. So that's what I mean. It's like sometimes you can still <clears throat> perform exercise as well, but still have some of these underlying issues. And it's all it kind of like mirrors back to what you're talking with powerlifting and looking at technique and how those little things add up to like a bigger result. Um, so I was, I mean, I've, I've kind of like, I've known her a little bit and watched her and I, I know that she does a lot of pull-ups and stuff like that. So I was interested on your assessment with the scapula, um, and then knowing her neck history too, but yeah, I'm excited for like more improvements for her in those areas. Cause I think she'll be doing pull-ups for, she'll be like double her yeah. amount. Well, it's probably going to go down. Her pull-up strength is going to go down a little bit at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so that day, the day that we saw her right before we got there, she did, uh, I think 11 and a half pull-ups, I think she said, yeah. and then, but then she got a, a, a ton of pressure and a super bad headache, Yeah, which we have both experienced when our levators act up, oh, yeah. up, not up, um, they, they get those tension headaches. So I, that made me start thinking that yes, there was some sort of compensation in there so the first thing we did was the protraction retraction mm-hmm. uh and then what we did was a band pull apart with some neck mobilization and she said that was the first time that she has been able to move into various positions in uh, various head positions with zero pain in her neck and if you think about human anatomy um, you get most of your flexion extension from c1 c2 and you get most of your rotation from c2 c3 so the fusion from C4 to C5 should not be affecting her as much as it is. Mm. But but she was never shown this exercise for alleviating tension in the neck. And it's crazy to me that she went through surgery and rehab and was never shown this exercise. It was pretty cool to watch. Yeah. I would be so excited to mm-hmm. not be in pain. Mm-hmm. I had a moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so, so the fact that she got that headache from doing pull-ups tells me that when she's pulling up, she's still moving into scapular elevation, mm-hmm. right? Which tells me that she's using a ton of bicep when she's doing her pull-ups. Now, uh, I mean, that's not inherently bad, right? You have to use some bicep, but right. we also want to make sure that your lats are engaged. And when your lats are not fully engaged, your scapular really do want to creep up. And yeah. not just when you're doing pull-ups, but when you're just standing there or when you're sitting there, they start to creep up and you get a ton of tension in your upper trap and your levator. So to alleviate that tension, we need to do a couple of things. We need to... Again, going back to the CES model, mo- uh, model, it's inhibit, lengthen, activate, strengthen, right? So we wanted to inhibit the muscles that are causing the tension and the pain in her neck and her head. So the first thing that the way that we did that was with the band pull apart and the reciprocal inhibition of how your body works, right? So pulling that band apart and activating your lower traps and your rhomboids actually deactivates those things up top. And it allowed her to actually move her head without having that pain because her body wasn't trying to use her levators to move her head around, you know? So now all of a sudden we have proper muscle activation. So now we can start trying to strengthen that muscle pattern. So we went out to the pec deck fly. We did the reverse pec deck fly with a heavy emphasis on her lower traps and her rhomboids. And it was still difficult. Sometimes she got a little like she, you know, came up a little bit. She lost some lumbar control a little bit, but we were able to have her feel what she should be feeling in that exercise, mm-hmm. um, which is invaluable because now she can go, she can take that and do that on her own, which yes. just as a disclaimer, if you get a session with me, I'm not the trainer who's going to tell you to give me 10 more, you know, I, I'm going to be there. And 
it will be one of the most mentally taxing sessions that you've ever had, but you're not going to leave. You're probably not going to break a sweat, honestly. I tell people um, when I book these sessions um, with you to either do it on your recovery day or your rest day or like know that it's not going to be your like full intensity lifting session. Mm -hmm. So plan accordingly. Full physical intensity. Yeah. Right. Right. Because we're still going to bring that. It's it's going to be friggin' hard. You're going to say, I can't do that. I'm trying and I can't do that. I'm going to say, yes, you can. I just saw it. You just did it. It's challenging for sure. Yeah. But it's different. And I think sometimes like bodybuilders, especially we get locked into our routine and we think all training sessions are like heavyweight, high intensity. Like, I mean, that's what you, that's what's sexy on the internet as well. Like someone yelling at you like five more (laughs) and you're like dying. But, um, yeah, that's not what to expect at these sessions. It's, it's, um eye-opening and frustrating but i i think it's um it's It's necessary it's invaluable for sure i've always kind of i'm a glutton for punishment but i've always liked going to the physical therapist because i'm like yeah he's going to show me what i'm bad at and that's their job right is a physical therapist's job is to show you what you're what you're bad at and if they can't do that then they're probably not that good (laughs) i have never heard anyone talk about going to the physical therapist like i know but wait but it's true it shows like where are my weak links because I need to know what I can work on. What is holding me back right now? Because right now I'm not making the progress I want to make. So what is holding me back? And you go to the physical therapist and they say, okay, we're going to do some uh, body weight glute bridges. Yeah. And I, and I want you to lift one vertebrae up at a time and then set one vertebrae down at a time on the table. And you're like, okay. And, and then you try to do it. And you're like, what the? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> listen to me. Do this. <laughs> And then he says, okay, now we're going to get in a bird dog position. We're going to hold this. Okay, I want you to pull your lumbar spine up, and I want you to hold this as I push down. I want you to lay on your side, and we're going to test your glute med strength. And it's just like I love it because it shows me all of my weak links in the kinetic chain. And now I know, like, I have a plan of attack, you know, and that's what I'm looking for. So that's what I want to do for these clients. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not a doctor. Um but I have a, a lot of experience. I've been lifting since I was 13 years old. Uh, I just turned 33 when last week, two weeks ago, whatever. Oh. Um, so, you know, I've been so young. I've been <laughs> I've been involved in the quote unquote industry for 20 years. Um, and through myself and other athletes, like I've just I've seen a lot. And um, I've always just been very curious and very observational. Well, you you collaborate with a lot of professionals, too. I mm-hmm. feel like wherever you go and you can learn something. I mean, we've been in a chiropractic office for hours just talking about things and mm-hmm. videos and um and then like massage therapists you've you've talked with and what's amazing is if someone loves their craft they love talking about it to other people yeah that's what i have found and i'm not the only one so i know you love making fun of me and how much i talk (laughs) and that's fine (laughs) because i do i can talk a lot when we're talking about this kind of stuff um but i'm not the only one if you love what you do when you find someone who's adamant about learning from you it's like it's the best thing in the world because it's like, yeah, I get to talk to someone else about what I'm excited about. Well, I feel like ever since I've met you, I've seen that happen where we go to an appointment and then I just try to get everything I can from them. I am like, <laughs> I didn't realize this was like a, a all to do. I'm like, yeah, but I love that you have found people to connect with to help because I think there's different, definitely different professionals in the sport there's well yeah there's people who went to school and have formal education and that's the backbone of how they like operate 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do think there is a special place for people who learn a different way um, through, yeah, through like observation, through like inquisitiveness, through connection with other professionals, and they they look to advance their knowledge in just a different capacity. Um, And I think that that that's something unique. And it's been, oh, I've seen that with you. I mean, even when we were in Breath's gym, like, I just left you two crazy people alone. <laughs> I went to go work out or say hi to some of the girls because I knew that you two were going to start talking about all, all that, kinds that of different tangents. Like, what, what in the, yeah, and I, I wasn't going to be keeping up with that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. but you also like learned through, I mean, you were very honest with him about like learning through observation, being in there. So, like, being in that gym and like, because he's and caught me, like, staring at him while he's, like, working with girls. And I'm just, like, because like, he'll be, like, talking to them, telling them what to do, walking them through the program for the day. Or he'll be, like, telling them what he's about to do with the rep counts and, and like, the east forest eccentrics and isometric and this, that, and the other. And he, like, sometimes he's talking to girl and he'll, like, look over. And I'm just, like, sitting there staring at him. And so I've, I've wanted to, I wanted to iterate to him, like, I'm not being weird. I just, I like learning from people. And I respect you. And I respect your knowledge and the knowledge that you've accrued over the years. And... Like, you get results, you know, like, uh, there's no better glute trainer, right? Yeah, so yeah. respecting other professionals mm-hmm. in their yeah. sport. And, and yeah, and I get to be the re- recipient of, like, put, getting put on this machine and then Brett <laughs> showing how to <laughs> annihilate a person on this machine. Okay, TC, this is what you're going to do. And Chris, 10 more. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. But, um yeah. Wow. We got really off track there. I don't know where we were going with this, but, um, knowledge without mileage is, is bullshit. That's what you were saying. <laughs> no, that's uh Chris Geethan. He used to own cage muscle and that's, that's, it was actually on a bunch of shirts that they printed when they first opened that company. Oh, and at first I was like, I, I don't understand. And then, which is ironic <laughs> because of who I am, but, uh, it, I've come to realize that like, there's so many, and actually I came to realize that my R and D lab, uh, position because they hired these engineers who were just oh. oh my gosh they messed everything up and then me this friggin' quote-unquote technician who started at $18 an hour at this R&D lab in Northern Virginia had to come in and friggin' clean up after all these people but I mean that's what happens when you're just like when you learn through observation and you keep on building and you're never satisfied it's never good enough it's what can I do better and how can we fix this and how can it be better um so, yeah, and, and that's where that came from is they had the knowledge. They were taught the theoretical basis, and, man, that was one thing. There was a, an engineer. He was an older guy, and, and he had a Ph.D., and he would be in the front, like, writing his papers and stuff, his research papers and blah, blah, blah. Every once in a while, he'd get up to, like, walk around the shop and stretch his legs. He would come up and be over your shoulder, and all you have to do is and I look at him. All right, Ashraf, you do it. Show me. Oh, no, no, no. What, what do you mean? All you have to do is this. But it's it's so much easier theoretically than practically. Sure. So and it's com- it's almost completely different sometimes. It's like yeah, I understand the theory. That's not going to work here. Yeah. And a lot of these people who don't actually do things, they they'll never understand that. So these people who like just do scientific studies, even if they're doing scientific studies on athletes, you're in a lab. These yeah. athletes that we're training out in the real world, they are not in a lab. And, and your findings, you can take them as generalities, but then you have to, again, you have to apply it individually to each athlete and each athlete's situation. So that's where bro science comes from. 
exactly. Which, which like, it's funny because the name bro science is derogatory. Oh, and, yeah. it, and it's like, yeah, that's trash, you know. But when you like, when it comes down to it, there's a, the vast majority of quote unquote bro science is how you get the best results out of these athletes. I think bro science comes first, and then eventually people do studies and. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Then that yeah. theory becomes a. Like today, I had someone come up to me when I was doing bench press. He's like, "What are you doing with that?" Because I had, <laughs> so this the rogue has those six shooter plates with like six holes. Excuse me, and I had one plate on the bar normally, and then I had my other two plates hung on the bar through one of those holes. And he's like, "What are you doing? Is that like some sort of bro science or?" I was like, uh, I guess I just kind of made it up, but I like using chains for stability training in my bench press and my squats. And the way I do it is I hang the chain high enough to where it doesn't hit the ground when I'm standing tall. So at the top of my lift, and then as you come down, yeah, it hits the ground and there's some accommodating resistance there. But here on this bench press, it was no accommodating resistance. It was the same the entire time, but you still had the stability demand of those weights swinging around mm -hmm. as you're doing the bench press. So there's there's a lot of things that are not like scientifically proven that do work. I was going to say, show me the study for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if we ever get an athlete that says that to me, I'm going to say, uh, do it for a couple of weeks and, and then I'll show you the results. <laughs> Here's my study. It's on you. <laughs> well, I think and things start off with like tr like trial and error or trying things or inquisitiveness. Like they're always going to start in that uh, that capacity first. You have to have an idea and a theory to be able to test it mm -hmm. so it's it comes from thinking and fig trying to figure out and listen there is a time and a place for studies and i think that it's important to have reasons always like have reasons mm -hmm. why you're telling an athlete to do something don't be a coach that's like it's because i said so trust the process like that's that's really not fair that's, that's not fair yeah um you should be educating and if you that's what someone says when they don't want to say i don't know <laughs> by, by the way <laughs> yeah um so I, I what i learned i learned a lot of things from my dad but one of the one of my favorite things that i learned from him was tca i will always have a reason for when i ask you to do something and he did mm. if i were to ever and which i did not ask him why <laughs> because generally speaking that got you yelled at and you learned the reason but <laughs> it wasn't pleasant um but I just learned to trust that he had a reason. Yeah. And hopefully, I think our athletes are buying into that as well, because I've had a few of them ask me questions about things. And after I explain it, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you for the explanation, you know. But yes, I will always have a reason for anything that I do. I'm not just going to throw something in like, ah, I think I need one more exercise in this program. No, it, it's going to be very particular and intentional. Yeah, and I think that's what's been helpful for me, too, is to be able to ask questions. Because anything new is like people have a hard time trusting mm -hmm. because it's unfamiliar this is not how we do things i'm not quite sure about this so being able to ask questions of what's the intention behind the exercise or the mobility work or like what what are your thoughts here um not only helps the buy-in process but i think it's also helpful because uh it just reiterates like that you ha you have intention um with what you're prescribing and yeah. I, I'm not going to say I'm always right either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're, we're not perfect people. Yeah. But we can at least like give you a reason for why we've, mm -hmm. we're looking at something. 
Um, so how do we get here? <laughs> Who's driving this thing? <laughs> um, so we There's were tangent after tangent. I mean, we started talking about the the second athlete that we worked with on that Saturday, yeah. but I think we covered all the important things for them. I mean, the first one was hip control, and the second one was scapular control. Yeah. And and those, in my opinion, those are your two most complex. Well, they're called complexes. You have your lumbopelvic hip complex, and you have your shoulder girdle. Um, and your shoulder girdle, your shoulder joint is just unstable by nature. It's like a golf ball on a tee, mm. and a stiff wind can blow that off of there. Right. So your shoulder joint by nature is super weak and it needs to be strengthened. And if you don't strengthen it all around, if you don't don't fully encompass your strength training around your shoulder, uh, you're going to develop issues, whether you're only doing bench press and you develop bicep tendonitis because you don't have any rear delt or lower trap and rhomboid strength. Yes. You know, or or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? But and then your lumbopelvic hip complex is it's all linked in there because it's there's a lot going on there, you know, and there's a lot more than just your glute muscles, your ab muscles and your quads and hamstrings. Like you also have all of your deep hip muscles. You have all of your back muscles. You have your transverse abdominis. You have your QLs, your QFs. Like there's a lot going on around there. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's it. (laughs) Between those two is your core. Mm -hmm. And that was a a similar thing we were seeing with both athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And the one girl, told me the next day her back and her abs were super sore and the mid back there was not no, the low back right there yeah, was no was cr- sore in the right there spot. was no crunching there was no pl- there was no intentional like here's an ab exercise um it was just positioning yeah it was keep it was keep your spine in this position keep, while you're yeah, doing this hold, movement hold like hold this like torso positioning think about this think about that think about that and and she was sore the next day um which i have gotten sore my core has gotten sore from hip thrusts um just by being intentional with bracing mm-hmm. um i do i have the kabuki transformer bar i put it on the front squat setting uh, all the way out and i tell people make this a core exercise you know i felt my core and lat pull downs mm-hmm. exactly and you, should. Pull-ups. and you I should feel my core a lot yeah pull-ups and chin-ups they're, they're actually a great core exercise and it's not People don't tout it as that because people, generally speaking, go into an anterior pelvic tilt because it's easier to target your upper back muscles in the pull-up versus keeping that neutral spine position, keeping your abs nice and tight, and then using the entirety of your lat muscle. So it's it's very interesting because you have to pull back a little bit. It's like a bow and arrow, right? You can't shoot an arrow without pulling it backwards first. Yeah. So training is the exact same thing. You you need to make sure that you're able to properly position your body before you're going to be able to properly work your body. That's just that's just how it is. Yeah, which I think is a key excuse me, key point here. And um I thought and a really nice thing you did for those athletes was give them a video review. Um I was there taking pictures and Yeah, yeah, Chris took a bunch of pictures and videos for us, so when I went through their video review, I was able to like kind of double back on some of the things that we talked about, um, some of the issues that we uncovered. Um, and then I also, we uploaded them into our platform so that I could give them uh, uh, some good recovery and mobility exercises to work on. Mm-hmm. So. And then you also made the review for the athlete and um, so they could send to their coach Yeah, mm-hmm. as well, which we got great feedback from. So that um, was also encouraging. I think like, 
being able to, and I think that's part of what reckless training is. We're not an exclusive team. Um, I, at least I feel like we have a similar vision and we just care a lot about people. And that's why we have so many people from different teams or different sports or like we're a real hodgepodge of um, athletes and you don't need to be coached by us um, to be part of like our community. Um, okay. Yeah. So that brings us to like something that TCS coined as pack mentality, uh, which uh, I think is really special. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Um, yeah, I'll talk about a couple things and you can jump in wherever you want. Um, okay. So I'm going to go off on another tangent here. <laughs> mm. Everybody buckle up. Um, being an athlete in bodybuilding powerlifting as an adult, um, I think that it's very easy to kind of get ostracized by other people, like by your peers, uh, especially as a bodybuilder. Um, a powerlifter, they're going to look at you and say, why, why, why do you, why? just why you know and it's similar to the bodybuilder because they're constantly they're carrying around their food eating out of ziploc bags when they're when they're in prep you know and why what don't you, you need to eat more blah blah don't don't tell it this is my life don't tell me <laughs> so um we're all in this together mm. and chris and i's our goal is to help as many people as we can um and being ex exclusive is not the way to do that um and i think you know if you liken it to let's just say religion um, C.S. Lewis has his book, Mere Christianity, and he talks about how all these different factions fight over these silly little things. Um, instead of just banding together, like we'd be so much more powerful together. And that's kind of the culture that we want to um, instill in our athletes, but also in others in, in all the other athletes as well. Mm -hmm. um, is, is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, so that's the mentality that we bring so pack mentality came started with diego um dog. yeah he he's passed away last year um but everyone who met him fell in love with him everyone um that was our pack yeah yeah that was uh, our first like family unit for team mm -hmm. our pack was me chris and diego uh we got we got diego Less than six months after Chris and I got together, <laughs> we, we just hit the fast forward button. We moved in together within like a couple months. We, we got a dog within, you know, in the first half year. Yeah. And then we started a business in the first five years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, but that, that kind of just shine the light on the fact that like, you don't have to be exclusively part of our, you know, family unit every single night to be part of our pack right and it's the same thing with training you don't have to be part of our reckless training unit to be part of our reckless training pack yes um, and i hope i'm explaining that adequately yeah i mean we have and that's part of like that's part of why we started reckless training is because we we wanted to coach people we wanted to put um our best efforts out there in the sport to give people a positive experience because um, we we're hearing a lot of negative things um yeah, I think I just got a lot of exposure in like 12 months prior to starting reckless training of a lot of like really awful things um, within the industry. And <clears throat> I was on, you know, ready to make some changes and make those make a better impact. Um, 
and my previous situation really wasn't allowing for that. So that's why uh, TC and I decided to start reckless training. But the pack mentality thing, I think, was like a beautiful extension of that because there are a bunch of teams out there. Um, people are very proud of what team they belong to. And I I love that. That's I applaud great, yeah. that. But I don't want f- you to feel like because you have a fit body fusion or a team elite or a pro physique or some other like uh, loyalty to a different team that um, you can't be part of the community and that's one thing that um i think what i've heard be preached previously is like always accept everybody and and bring them into the fold but um accept them without the intention of what you can gain from them yeah um i don't want you i don't want to be able to help you because i want you to eventually be my client um or i want your money like we if you don't want to be one of our clients that's okay but how can we help you and how can we support you and i think because we've been more open to that it's allowed us to collaborate with some really great coaches um, and help athletes of different teams and that was part of our mission is to like reach those people so pack mentality does involve like the hodgepodge athletes that we do coach our power lifters our gen pop people our like bikini athletes or wellness athletes are classic athletes like it incorporates all of them um but we wanted to avoid the exclusivity where people who are from another team couldn't feel like they could like come come hang out with us come talk prep with us like mm-hmm. it uh there's there's no need for like animosity between yeah and I, th- I think our athletes all carry that forward as well. You know, like, I mean, you see in the back, like, our athletes are more than willing to help anyone else who at- who needs it, you know? Yeah, they're a great group. If someone forgot some snacks, like, here, have some fruit snacks. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it, it's it's great. I love it. Um, but you, your vibe attracts your tribe, mm-hmm. right? That's what they say. And like Chris said, that's all we want to do is help people and ask us questions. I guarantee you're going to get an answer. You're not going to, you're not going to get an email back saying, Oh, click the sign up link on our website and then I'll help you. <laughs> like, no, like just ask me questions. You want to send me a video for technique feedback? Send me a video, ask yeah. for technique feedback, say, what am I doing wrong? And then, you know what? I'm going to hit you back and I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's, we, we enjoy the position that God put us in to be able to have the experiences that we have to be able to, give back to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're climbing without the intention of reaching down and helping someone else up, you're doing it wrong. Mm. And I guarantee you're not going to make it as far as you would if you were trying to help other people up. Because that person that you just helped up might have a tip. Like you could be a pro bodybuilder with lagging delts and that person you just helped up might have no physique at all, but they have a tip that's going to help you stabilize your scapula and build your delts and all of a sudden they're going to blow up. But that was you got it from a nobody. Yeah. So... Never be so arrogant that, it, or or let me say it this way, maintain your humble mentality so that you're able to learn from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has a different life experience. Everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has something worth learning from them. Yeah, So absolutely. So yes, pack mentality, you're all included. Um, and... I've just appreciated everybody that's kind of been a part of that. Um, 
just like people who have like rallied behind us and and doing something different and starting something um yeah just like out of i mean prep coaches is, is a common like it's becoming more popular i think there's more people calling themselves prep mm -hmm. coaches um but good prep coaches with the intent on helping athletes without the um ego or the money drive i don't there's definitely a separation between those two so we're here we're like very interested in supporting coaches and athletes that are like you said interested in helping other people they're not in it necessarily for themselves they're they're really looking to expand the port the sport in a positive way and i'm very thankful for so many great people we have met like uh, there's many many times where i'm just like i cannot believe this is my life right now like that person's amazing that person's amazing that person like it's been a, it's a really fun experience so thank you for everybody who's been part of that um and who has like reached out to us and either encouraged us or has asked uh good great questions has wanted some help um yeah i think that pretty much sums it up so yeah um also we we i said that we would help anyone if if i've seen you act like you're better than someone else i'm probably not going to help you <laughs> we well we have our we have talked about yeah. um who we will yeah. who we will collaborate with yeah. and who we prefer not to yeah. um you're, you're gonna need to match our convictions like just, just be a good just person to keep yes um because our, our pack is important yeah um and yes we are here to help everybody but again we're looking for collaboration with people who have a similar uh, heart and mindset for the athlete because again i think that's a big part of our mission is yeah. supporting those coaches um and wow, it's been wild <laughs> who we've gotten to collaborate with. So, um, okay. Last thing. So if you are interested in posing, like one-on-one -on -one posing, I do do online posing sessions. Um, like, uh, yeah, like 30-minute posing session. Huh? Oh, okay. Being childish. Oh. <laughs> um, if you are interested in doing supposing sessions with me, prices are on the website. You can just reach out to me on Instagram if you want to schedule something because our travel schedule is a little bit crazy. So um, we can collaborate on that. Um, just if you want a fresh eye on some different positions, on specific cues, um, I do bikini and, excuse me, wellness posing. Um, if you would like technique sessions, like we were talking about with TC, um, where he can look at like mobility, um, assess specific things. If you have a certain specific concern, like lower glute growth or, you know, neck pain or certain things like that. And you'd like a session with TC, you can feel free to reach out to him yes, as well. Especially if something is bothering you. If you have pain, reach out to me. Just let me know. I, I want to help you train without having pain. Yeah. Um, so we are available for those um extra things we are prep coaches as well so if you're interested in um if you're a powerlifting athlete um a bodybuilding athlete of any like category or you are um just somebody who wants to feel good learn how to like eat for your body and and have a specific train training regimen to feel your technique feedback like we our most recent sign up was she doesn't want to compete she has no intention but her husband always tells her how bad her form is. <laughs> yeah. So she want to sign up and she's been, she sends me like 10 videos a week. Yeah. yeah. She's great. She's very, she's taking the most out of yeah. the session. Yeah. I'm very proud of her. So. Yeah. So like 
and if you have a specific health goal and we can't, you know, we can't provide that service, we will help you find somebody who can. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that we really love to do is connect people with the right um, professionals in the industry. So you can reach out to us. Our Instagram is reckless underscore training. TC's Instagram handle is longshotgamble. And mine is chrisnicole underscore IFBB pro. We should put all that stuff in the show notes. Oh, I think I do. Um, and our website is recklesstraining.com. Um, we also run events. So if you are interested in um, the month, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, sure. So we, we have, uh, well, registration is closed for Iron Belt Classic this weekend. That's in Ashland, Virginia. Uh, but if you're in the area, you want to come out, see what one of the events is like, uh, definitely feel free. Um, next up, we have uh, High School Teen Nationals, which will be March 14th through 16th down in Melbourne, Florida. Um, and then we have uh, Battle of the Border, which is a strict curl bench press deadlift competition uh, in Currituck County. Uh, I believe that's April 13th. Um, and then we have uh, the American Challenge May 17th, 18th. So in um, Miami. Yeah, and then and then the Crown Jewel. <laughs> Our so child our event child yeah um so we're uh, we're that's just, june 1st just a reminder Miami. there's also yes good job babe <laughs> june 1st um in miami at the um international miami international fitness expo we're running <clears throat> excuse me a strong lifting event with brett Contreras. so um that'll be your big six <laughs> big six lifts and um, also the American Strict Curl. American Challenge Strict Curl, yeah. Uh, Florida. So the American Challenge is a nationwide competition. Uh, it's 100% Royal Powerlifting Federation's national championships. It's spread out over uh, basically a month's time. And the results are released uh, July, the first week of July, after all the results have been tabulated. Um, but this is the Florida division of the American Challenge. And we'll be holding the Strict Curl at the Miami International Fitness Expo on June 1st. Um, we're capping that registration at 60 lifters. It's two platforms. We have LED backdrops for the screens. Like, this is going to be an event and a half. So it's going to be fun, and there will be an audience because mm. it's the expo. So. Um. Oh yeah, they they had uh, I think six thousand people, six or seven thousand people buy tickets last was year. Packed when I was competing. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of people there. But yes, um, for the questions, reach out to us, and um, why don't you take us out? And just remember. Work hard, stay humble, and train reckless.